0: How do you bring MedTech to market? My name is Karen Brown, and I'm your host. On MedTech RX. you'll hear from the experts, people who have worked for us, people we've worked with, and the people we see advancing MedTech innovation. I don't have to tell you this is a complex industry. I know because I've lived it. After receiving my PharmD and working on clinical trials in academia, pharma, and a global med device CRO, I'm building my own firm. Tune in and enjoy.
1: And we're here. Karen, thank you for offering us this opportunity to turn the mic around and speak to you about med tech. I think, first things first, something that we have to dive into is how does one get into the med tech industry? What steps do you take to end up to where you are?
0: Yeah, no, that's a good question. I was one of those weird kids who actually wanted to be a pharmacist when I grew up. And I think that was really heavily influenced by my mom. She was a nurse, she's still at the the place that she's been a nurse at for the last 20 years. And I just always found what drugs could do really interesting. So I think it's fitting to talk a little bit about why we're calling this MedTech RX and the importance of bringing in kind of my background of working in pharmaceuticals and just having that background as a pharmacist. But yeah, as a kid, I wanted to be a pharmacist. I wanted to work in healthcare. I really thought I would just be that pharmacist that works in a hospital every day. That was the path that I was going to go down. And I had that healthcare background that was kind of married to growing up farming in central Montana, big 9,000 acre wheat farm. And you wouldn't really think about much of like the scientific method or anything in that regard from a chemistry standpoint from just farming. But when you dive into that and think about the chemicals that we had to use and all of the science behind growing wheat that got me really interested. And I just remember this one day where my mentor and my good advisor at the time was helping me with a science fair project. And he came up to me and kind of shook a bottle with a milliliter of fluid in it, just this plastic water bottle. And he said a drop of this could kill a 200 pound man. And I was like, that is so interesting. I just need to know how that works. So not to make myself sound like a total psychopath, but it was really interesting to me to think about how small molecules impacted the human body. And so that's why I kind of went down that route. And I was fortunate enough when I was going through pharmacy school to have great mentors and get into research and think about how we get more people in clinical trials and how we find that data in populations that don't necessarily always have that access to clinical trials. And so I really was interested in finding a pathway for myself into the industry. And then as I was graduating from pharmacy school, I was pregnant with my second daughter. It was 2020 and we were kind of mid-pandemic. And I knew I wasn't gonna go work in a hospital at that time or go do a residency as a pharmacist. So when all of that was kind of playing out, I decided that I would just reach out to my network. And so I linked in a messaged a bunch of people. I had some calls with people that I knew were in the industry and I just said, give me a project, any project. I can do data analysis, I can do medical writing, just just give me something. Give me a chance. And luckily enough, one of my partners in Clio today took a chance on me and, and said, here, you can have this project. We'll subcontract it out to you to do data analysis for a company. And I took it and really got embedded in the med tech space. I think I really enjoyed doing the data analytics and, and supporting medical writing. And then I started to grow my network and Throughout that whole process, as I started developing relationships with clients, I kind of approached it with the Montana method. They always say, if you're from Montana, it's always like, your first question is always, what city were you from? And then your second question is, oh, do you know, blank, whoever. And so I started growing my network pretty rapidly, and clients really enjoyed working with me. So they would reach out and say, hey, you know, do you know someone who could do this? Do you have an expert in regulatory affairs or an expert in medical writing that could help us with this project? And I was like, sure, let me make this connection. And then after some time, I realized I could grow Clio beyond this one-person consulting firm to a big contract research organization or a CRO, as we call them, and really – Connect those people who were experts in their field, who had spent 20 or 30 years at various large companies or or small companies, just launching a new med tech product. And then eventually, similar to me, wanted to go out on their own and have their own consulting firms. Ultimately, a lot of the projects that we were able to work through, we saved our clients millions of dollars just going through. Clio instead of another firm that maybe had a little bit too much bureaucracy or too much overhead to make it cost effective for clients. And eventually, we grew Clio to to what it is today, being able to support with integrated expertise, I would say, both regulatory affairs, market access, clinical trials. And I Fell in love with med device and med tech in general. It's interesting. It's different than pharma. And I think there is a level of competitive greatness in med tech that you don't necessarily see in a lot of industries. And it was really helpful to me to kind of find that and find people who are similar to me in that way who wanted to push the boundaries and have a lot of success.
1: Definitely. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like it was quite the journey from growing up to receiving your, your doctorate, your doctor of pharmacy from University of Montana and then so right out of school it sounds like you went to uh, industry recognized big clinical research organization? or
0: Yeah, yeah, it was definitely more, most people would consider it a midsize organization. It was Telos Partners, and they're a fantastic CRO. They still work in the space, primarily with orthopedic companies, and they were great mentors to me. They were able to really establish great relationships that continue to this day, and I really benefited from my time working with them. Eventually, they did sell. So they were acquired in 2020, at the end of 2020, I believe. And so that was kind of my transition towards Clio.
1: And that's actually a perfect segue into where I think it's important to dive into next. You get out of school and you go work for this firm, this organization, and then something clicks in you where you decide that you want to start your own org organization.
0: Sure. It's definitely been a rapid progression. And I think that Clio, as it stands today, I wouldn't have ever guessed that I would build Clio to where it is now. Really, kind of as I was mentioning earlier, I thought that I would be really happy just taking on projects as an independent contractor, and to just be that data analytics consultant that's supporting medical device companies. But I think you quickly realize when you're in that space The eat what you kill model doesn't, isn't scalable, obviously. And when you are at that point where you're already building your network so rapidly and you want to work with great people and you want the opportunity to help people and grow beyond what one person is capable of doing, I think it naturally kind of becomes the next step to try to take on contracts where you bring in more people to fulfill it. And then you kind of have that opportunity to find what you're good at and then take a hard look at what you're not good at and fill in those gaps with people who are fantastic.
1: Certainly, it sounds like who you know and the network that you're able to build within this industry, yeah. Is, is, is a make or break differentiator for for you.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I think the most important thing once you, you've scaled beyond a few clients and you have a continuous revenue stream is really about getting the right butts in the right seats. And I know that people say that a lot, but it's so funny how much of an impact it makes, especially in those early days where where you're like, this isn't right for you. You're fantastic at this we're going to find someone else to take this off of your plate so you could do more of this.
1: Great. Well, that's important to recognize. Recognizing your flaws is almost as important sometimes as knowing what your strengths are as well. I would love to dive more into Clio itself, perhaps even have you walk us through describing Clio for someone that has that internal need for the services that Clio is able to offer, but nobody external that's able to help them you know, they they need these services, they need help conducting this trial or procuring these national trials. Where does Clio fit in with that? How does Clio assist someone who truthfully doesn't know where to begin? It's a big industry and there's a lot of moving pieces, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Clio, because we grew to the point we have, and as I mentioned, has that medtech integrated expertise, we do come in on a lot of projects where a medtech executive might be looking for a new indication for a product, or maybe they're launching a new product in the U.S. or overseas. Something else they might need is higher reimbursement from the payers, so going in front of the payers and developing those relationships. Or the majority of our clients are always looking for a way to develop that continuous cadence of evidence for their med tech device and, and being able to go into a hospital confidently or set their sales reps up to go into a, a hospital confidently to say, we have this data, it's been published, it's been peer reviewed, it's across 10 centers, across 30 centers, whatever it might be in the US, It's encompasses the patient population that we're looking for that the medical device or product is able to treat. And they don't really know where to start. And that's really, really common in small teams. A lot of times, an executive might be someone who worked their way up the ranks from a sales rep or director of sales and, and up that route. But that doesn't really necessarily mean that they know much about clinical trials. They can speak to it. They have the white papers that are internal about the end result of it. But there's so much that goes into a clinical trial from qualifying sites, from even identifying sites that would have the patient populations you're looking for, to getting them qualified to make sure that the investigator or the physician there has the adequate expertise and has all of the resources that they need to be able to conduct the clinical trial, and that it won't really impact their workflows as much as possible. So you try to set everything up early stage in in the project initiation process so that you can really work with the various centers across the US or across the globe that are interested in using the product. And then you have to have the sustainable system to monitor data, to make sure that the data that's getting uploaded, that's being essentially pulled from patient records inside of an electronic medical record system is what is actually getting uploaded into your database that collects all the data and making sure that you're in compliance with all the FDA regulations, with good clinical practice guidelines. There are quite a few compliance and regulatory issues that you run into in clinical trials, and I think a lot of people don't know where to start. I'll get calls all the time to just check in and say, do you think I need IRB or Institutional Review Board approval for this? And it's such a small piece, it it kind of makes me laugh sometimes to think about because. That's something that I would just help someone do. You know, I'd have the conversation with them. And they're like, is this something that you do through Clio? And at Clio, we really want to provide value. We only want to charge when value is actually created. And so I'm always loving having those relationships and having people who will come to me with those types of questions. But it is a convoluted field, for sure.
1: Certainly, having that team of specialists is... I'm sure you take the workload off of a lot of stressed out people from their various companies and industries, which is, it's commendable. It's important. We try Um, our best. (laughs) (laughs) So talk to me a little bit about pre-approval to post-market. It sounds complicated. Is it? Is it a... is, it's is it so complicated, complicated it we sounds. get
0: to have a whole podcast around it really yeah yeah no it, it gets complicated and hopefully we get to dive into this in this season I know we will because we have fantastic clinical trialists who will come on and talk about their stories and where they ran into barriers and um, how they overcame them most importantly but We, when you're thinking about it, I'll give you kind of the thirty thousand foot approval, Uh, or if you're looking for approval for a medic medical device or FDA clearance is what they actually call it in the U.S. You can go through several different pathways, and the FDA has basically laid them out based on risk of the device from a safety standpoint, but then also an efficacy standpoint, safety first, always. And you take a risk based approach, but that's what they're considering when they lay out the pathways that you can go down for FDA clearance. That can be, that is often a multi year process to get that data. There are specific instances where a device might be commercialized overseas somewhere. And you can take that data that has been collected, been published, been kind of through the vetting process to be used in the US. However, the FDA obviously likes to know that the device is going to be used and going to be safe and effective in the applicable population. So there's various routes That you can go down, and and I hope we dive into that more this season. But that's the pre-approval process, and then the post-market process. If we're talking from a pharmaceutical standpoint or a medical device, a lot of people call it pharmacovigilance. Pharmacovigilance. So essentially, you are required to set up processes to make sure that you can capture device complaints, that you can track any issues after you're in the commercialization process. Because even if a device has been used in a hundred people and no one had a serious adverse event, once it's out on the market and it's being used in thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, potentially, even if something seemed very small or insignificant or wasn't even found in those early pre-approval studies. When you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, even if it's a rare event, it's significant. It really can potentially put patients' lives at risk. And so you think about that and the processes that are required to collect data to ensure that safety and efficacy is there and and is proved. And that's kind of where you get to the post-market study process. So we love doing post-market studies. It's kind of our bread and butter. We love working with teams who have a commercialized device, but they need that help getting additional data to support going into those physician's offices and talking confidently and being able to back up what the claims that they're making in terms of safety and efficacy and utility even. And so in the post-market space, which is becoming more and more important now in the last 10 years or so with MDR medical device regulations over in Europe and in the US, we're thinking about pathways to Collect that data not only in registry type studies where you just gather real world evidence, the evidence and the data that's in electronic medical records, but also setting up studies that can be the gold standard in terms of randomized controlled trials, or having a specific population that they might want to use a device in that hasn't been used before. So getting those types of studies and getting that data to support new indications or potentially changes in a product that are made.
1: Yeah, it's sort of adding that value to your customer, it sounds like, in that post-market research is we have this product and you're giving the value to them. Yeah. upfront. You're adding the power to their punch. As we're beginning to wrap up here, Clio being founded and operated in Montana, what have you found the benefits of running a, a company such as this in Montana to be? I know that you have a focus in, in bringing these trials to underserved communities and practices. How's that played out for you? How's your experience been within Montana for that?
0: I think there are definitely challenges to trying to build and and scale a company in a more geographically remote place. I think a lot of those challenges are really combated by the fact that we're, we're more of a virtual world, virtual workforce. And so I think that When I think back on growing Clio, I I kind of go back to what I said earlier about being from Montana and having that ability to network and, and know everyone in the space, know people who can make introductions or who are purely just rooting for you because they know your background and they know how difficult it can be and they want to to be the people who grow your network and help you get new clients or build new relationships. And so I think the benefits to being in Montana are that we have this close-knit community, that we're able to collaborate really effectively with companies, whether it be patent attorneys that send us work or someone at the university who is interested in learning more about how do you take that basic science research and push it towards something that can be commercialized. And so in Montana, especially, I think that that kind of having the background that I did understanding the needs from a rural standpoint and from some of our diverse populations such as american indian populations that's kind of where my background in research even started i i was doing research with a local american indian tribe the confederated salish and kootenai tribes about 30 minutes north of missoula where we live and i got to see firsthand just the limited infrastructure and the limited amount of resources that they have to even provide regular primary care, getting their patients out to specialists when needed. And if you think about clinical trials at a higher level or just broadly beyond medtech, clinical trials really do give you an opportunity to have treatments that aren't available to your population, especially when they're already so resource-limited and there's financial barriers or geographical barriers to travel. So having that next line of these are some options that we can try has really always been a passion, has really driven this passion in me for many years, really, to bring clinical trials and just research in general to underserved and rural communities.
1: Great, It's great work. And I mean, being able to operate on a local level while also being global. I don't think there's very many organizations out there that are able to accomplish such work. As we near the end here, is there anything you want your listeners to know about you before they move on to listen to more episodes? Is there anything that they have to look forward to or in the pipeline that we can be excited about?
0: No, we're really excited to keep Growing Clio to keep scaling and being able to help more companies and bring more innovation to market or help innovation that's kind of being undervalued find success in market. I think this is going to be a great first season of MedTech Rx. We're going to bring on some of the experts that we've worked with, that we've really had a chance to develop great relationships with and, and get their take on the pathways that they took to get to where they are today, where they're thought of as subject matter experts and, and thought leaders in the space. And hopefully what comes out of those conversations is some insights and an ability to connect with their personal stories and hear more about how they navigated this space that is so convoluted and can be such a high b- barrier to entry. And just learn more about having a successful med tech company.
1: Well, that's perfect. Thank you, Karen, for sitting down and providing that deep dive into your work and what we have to look forward to coming up. Thank you.